0: Cool, so today is week four and I thought we were ending today and then I had this amazing moment this week when I realized we have one more week in this series. So I don't have to do chapter 10 through to 16 of Romans in one week like a pastor on substance. So um, I'm, I'm really happy about that because that would have been really tough. I could have spoke double time and then you could have slowed the podcast down to understand it in your spare time because you wouldn't have understand anything today. But we are on chapter ten. We're skipping kind of past chapter nine. Um, Now, the same thing that I've said throughout each of the other talks, for each other parts that we broke it down applies today, as much as ever. That this book is written to two very different groups of people, very very two different um, classes of people, um, ethnicity, background, uh, worldview, extremely different. There may have been actually other smaller subfractions as well but ultimately it's, it's, it's two mentalities it's a letter to the church in Rome um, but thing, things are really quite different um, from how you and I perceive, perceive things so if you think about when Jesus comes to this world he comes and no one knows really about him until his 30s apart from a very select group some shepherd who realise who he is some magi some wise men um, King tries to kill him, has to go to Egypt, but people don't really know who he is, don't much about him. In his thirties, he starts preaching this good news, this gospel. Uh, people start believing, trusting in him. He dies. Three days later, he, he, he there's this resurrection story, and he's around for a little bit, and then he's kind of gone. Now, for Jesus, at the time while he's teaching, there is just this, this Jewish faith, this Hebrew tradition, People started to believe that Jesus was the Messiah they've been waiting for. They're still Jews, they're still considered Hebrews, but what happens is there starts to be a a split. So there are those who've accepted Jesus as Messiah and other Jews who don't see him as Messiah. So the Jews that see him as the Messiah start being known as people of the way. So they're seen as like this cult, this, um, this group that is to be ignored, shunned, squashed, stamped on, downtrodden, and dealt with. Paul or was known as Saul and, and he was a part of that brigade. He went around squashing out groups, killing people, brutalizing them. And then what happens is he ends up encountering the gospel for himself. It becomes real to him. He starts following this and makes it part of his life. There's a church in Rome that has been mainly these Hebrew Jewish people that now believe in the way. So they've carried on how they've always carried on doing their Hebrew faith. Then Gentiles, these, as they would call them from their perspective, but the Roman citizens wouldn't call themselves Gentiles. They'll just call themselves Roman citizens. They start to believe that he, he is something bigger. They've bought into this good news, they bought into this gospel, they bought into this Messiah, they prefer him as Lord instead of Caesar being Lord, they start to follow him, the church starts to change in its dynamic, so you end up with now Jewish people, Jewish people who, who believe this is their Messiah, and this Gentile bracket. But the Gentile bracket is growing bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and, bigger, and it can no longer be ignored now here what is about to happen in this time and in this letter is there's if, if something isn't addressed it's going to be split into two fractions you're going to have the gentile christians on the one hand the jewish christians on the other now paul in the first stage of this letter has been working like a tapestry trying to stitch these so these two pieces together that they may be one that they may be united and it gets to a point where he points out about abraham he points out it's by faith and he take, he's taken the old Jewish stories to prove this because he needs the Hebrew believers to buy in, to unite. He needs the Gentile believers to accept them as they are, their tradition, their history, but not be under and subjected to the law, but empowered by God's grace in this new freedom they find in Christ. And he needs them both to buy in on this for it to work. The problem is when you make an argument that first brings about faith as the centerpiece, which leads to grace, and then you end up being empowered by the Spirit of God, what happens is you end up with um, a group that will ask serious questions about your acceptance of your own origin, your own identity, and your own background. So they will see Paul then as being someone who's, first of all, is persecuting the people of the way. Now they see him as kind of jumping onto this Gentile bandwagon and being kind of anti his own tradition. And so if they manage to spin that argument to gain momentum what happens is the hebrew part of this church will no longer recognize his authority and will no longer listen to what he has to say which will cause a division and there won't be this unity that he's keen to see happen for a number of reasons so when we get to chapter 10 what he ends up talking to all these guys about is is literally continuing on this need for unity but he realizes all of this will beg a question of himself. So when it starts in, in chapter 10, he starts to talk about the zeal, the passage, the, the passion that he has for them. One of the things he starts to talk about, well, actually even before chapter 10, is in, in sorry chapter 9, which we're not going to ignore. Um, he says, he wishes he could become cursed. So the people have heard his message of liberation, of free from this law. They're going... The, this raises the question in the church for those people, well, he's not really real. Like, you're not real, fam. That's kind of how they would see it for the Hebrew people That You're not real, you're not legit, bruv. Like, bang, I'm not listening to this guy, man. He's not real. Boom, they can shut down, close down. So then he goes, well, if you want to know about my realness, if you want to know about who I am, I wish that I could be cursed and that Israel, my bloodline, would know Christ. I wish that I could become cursed. I wish that I could be even cut off from this amazing inheritance that they might know him, that if I could, and he's mimicking Christ to them. So in saying this, he's mimicking Christ in that, he knows that he can't do anything, he's not worth jack squat, he can't, he can't change their salvation, he can't change their situation. Jesus has given the sacrifice that is, is, is the only thing that is, is of any real worth at all in the universe. So, Paul can't really give this, but he's saying to them, if I could, I would. This is my passion for them. I love them. I am crazy about this stuff. I am real. This is where my heart is. So, he's saying that in, in chapter 9 to bring them on board and um, in the gent for the Gentiles, he's still continually reaffirming, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't like that either. He's still reaffirming that it's all about faith, that we're the recipients of the promise. So, in chapter 10, verse 9 to 11, because, and this is where he gets down to the gospel, so he wants them to understand the very heart of it, the most important part. He says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says... Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call him. For everyone who calls on his name and the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without witness someone preaching? And so he goes on to share on that. Then what he goes on to say is he goes to put forward a really strong case and a really strong piece of imagery in chapter 11. So he starts to try and paint for them the picture of the situation that they are living in. And he says to them, I ask then, has God rejected his people? Because first of all, it's like, has Paul rejected his people? Has Paul just moved and God is still on this thing?" Then the question moves because Paul has said, I'm passionate for you all. I wish that I could become a curse for my own people. The question then moves that if this is true and if Paul is serious about this, then Paul wishes he could give himself for them. Well, what about God? What does God say? What does God view about this people? Um, I, I then ask, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah how he appeals to God against Israel he's saying what we're going through here isn't new this has happened before and this will happen again and this still happens today Lord they have killed your prophets they have demolished your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life that's what Elijah said of Israel and how they treated him But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to bow. I have kept 7,000 men. What Paul is saying is he's saying Israel is still Israel and Israel is about faith and Israel is about following God. And he's saying, we've been in this scenario before. We've been in this scenario before. We've been in this place before. If we look back thousands of years of tradition where everyone is on the same page. Then loads of people go off that same page, they run with what's popular, they completely ditch and forsake God, and there's this small remnant left. Not lots, just a small, small, small group that's left. And he says, guess what guys, we are that small group. He says, you're freaking out about this scenario like it's a new thing. He paints a picture, don't you guys remember Elijah? When this dude is on his own going, I'm on my ones, there is no one. I am forsaken by God. Everyone is seeking to kill me. And then God goes, Elijah, I've got like 7,000 other guys out there that are also still true to me. And he's saying, this is the scenario we're in now. Israel as a whole has turned its back on God. But there is a remnant which were known as the people of the way that are still close and they are still true to him and they are still clinging on to what he has to say. So he's gone from this position of making forward the case that the Gentiles don't need to be under this law. He's trying to unify them both back together. He's trying to highlight to them that this situation isn't new, this situation has happened before. But as he finishes all his arguments by pointing this out and then by talking about the Gentiles being brought back in, in chapter 11 he starts to bring it to a close and he says, "'Least you be wise in your own ideas. I want you to understand this mystery. Verse 25. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And this, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. He does this great thing where he quotes this verse and the verse that he's quoting from is pointing back to a time and notice how it talks about jacob it doesn't say israel it says jacob because jacob was a man who wrestled with god and he received that transformation and by quoting this verse he's given like a like a hashtag shots fired off the bow reminding them that actually we are all like jacob we are all dodgy liars and cheats who wrestle with god who get that transformation and then we get called something else. He reminds them of their history and their past. And he's saying it's so important right now that we wrestle with these Gentiles, that we cling on to them and we cling on to God, and that we stay together in this struggle, and that we don't abandon what it is we're trying to do. And then as he finishes that, he's saying that this will be my covenant with them and I will take away their sins. I will. And he's saying, well, how did God do that? Did he do that for the law? He's already established. That's not it. It's through Jesus. So then he's come to the end now. At the end of chapter 11, he's literally finished sewing together these two groups and we finally now in chapter 12 get to what it's all about because paul's been about stability about unifying them about giving them sound understanding that they can be one together but for what purpose so in chapter 12 we're finally getting to the point of this letter because the first part is just getting them on the same page he says I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So his whole point of getting them on the same page, his whole point is trying to stop this schism is because there is something so important, something so sacred on the agenda. He's saying, you need to realize this is by faith. You need to realize this is by mercy. You need to realize this is by grace. You need to realize this is by His spirit. There's no action of what you do in this. It's completely divine, working things out, changing us. And in view of this mercy that God does this in us, there is only one response. There is only one response to be one tapestry, to present our lives as living sacrifices that in view of his mercy. Remembering his mercy, we keep it in front of us that we don't become douches. We keep it in front of us that we don't become arrogant. We keep it in front of us that we don't look at the people group that's different from us and distance ourselves from them and try and push them away. But in, in view of the mercy he has shown us, and what is the mercy he has shown us? That God in the God, being in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, becoming the likeness of flesh and blood, And that he came to serve and that he bowed the knee lower than anyone else that god gave him the name above every name at the name of jesus every knee shall bow that the idea of paul here is saying this is the beauty he's done all the arguing he's done all the sewing together laying all the arguments to get them united to get them on the same page to see the value in one another But then the next thing he wants to build upon is he's like, it's not just about having the unity there for the sake of it. It's not about meeting together and tolerating one another. It's not about tolerance here. It's about mission. It's about something beautiful. It's about now holding the very mercy that you have received from Jesus in front of you. And that is your reminder that you do the same, that you lay yourself down, that you lay it down. And he says, that's what worship is. This is when we come to worship. When we move past ourselves, laying ourselves down, that we are not the final goal and means for why we live. That I am not what it's all about. That when I look at my world, when I look at what's around me, me getting for me is not what it's about. I look at Jesus and he lays it down and I go, oh, in view of the mercy God has shown me, oh wow, it's time to lay my life down. It's time for me to be a living sacrifice to daily see those around me that I might view different, those that I might not see the value in. For the Gentiles who look at this ancient Jewish tradition, to look at these guys and see the value and the holiness in them, and be grateful that it's through their tradition that Jesus has come and that all are saved. And for the Jews to see, wow, The Gentiles, as Paul says, are making us feel jealous because we're seeing God doing a new thing in them. And I totally want him because he's doing something amazing and sacred through them. That we would see that through all things, God is moving around us through all different churches, through all different people groups, through all different environments and circumstances. Um, I had an amazing time the other Friday night being at a Redeemed Church of God meeting. Um, I've been asked to speak there at 1am in the morning. That was a whole new experience for me. I've never been at a service that is on. Like it was from 9, it's a youth service from 9 pm straight through to like 5am. And when I got I finished my talk and they were like, hey, you're on a QA? I am great. Brilliant. I'll be here till 3 in the morning. Yay! So happy about that. And they were doing all this and I was looking around and like I was just like, it, I had to see the beauty in them. And I had to struggle to see it because I was like, dang, you're doing a youth service from 9 till 5 a.m.? Like, there is not much beauty in that for me. That is like, that is abusing young people. (laughs) (laughs) That is, that is mean. That is like, and I'm like, no, 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 this is sacred, they want to be here. And then they're looking at me and I'm, I'm forcing them to see the beauty in me and the beauty of City Hill. Cause I'm like, yeah, we meet in a, in a restaurant slash bar kind of place. It's like really, really cool, really vintage da, da da. And they look at me like, you meet in a place to worship God and there's alcohol in the building. Like people are like, yeah. twitching you know what I mean and then they're looking at me this way and I'm, I'm pointing out to them well actually people will come to your church that will never come to mine and there are people that come to my church which I can guarantee you would not be here from 9pm till 5am <laughs> doing this not gonna happen let's see the beauty in one another and do you know what was so cool on the Q&A they were talking about a few different things and I think on the Q&A this one question came out which I I loved I think I I think I manifested on stage I couldn't stop like wriggling around laughing because um, someone had just yeah a young person had texted it in and I think it was something like my church is too af what should I do (laughs) and like I'm on the panel there's Seth Pinnock on the far side from midnight oil and he's looking at me trying not to die I'm looking at him like I am on the same page here this is this is and so Seth grabs the mic and he basically um, tells them leave um, which was awesome and I was like yeah cool okay fine I can see how you've come to that, the next person on the panel is like a proper, proper Nigerian female pastor. I mean, she, she is the embodiment of an RCCG pastor. So for her, every answer was there is a process. There is a process to the Bible. There's a process you follow. There's a process. I was sitting there like process, process. I don't even know the process. Someone tell me the process. I want to be in on this. And so she was like, bang, 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 bang. And so she was like, da da. And she did the hand like she was in the military. The, they point like that in the military. There's no finger, there's that. She was doing it. And I was like, wow, this this one's yeah. And then there's my friend next to me who's really cool, but she's on it as well, and she's like you must, she was like I don't know she's my friend and I love her but it was kind of like a Hitler moment you shall submit to your leaders <laughs> and I'm gonna sitting there like wow okay, you know who that is yeah, yeah. and then she's like you will submit to your elders you will speak to them and do what they say And I'm just sitting there and I'm like wow and it comes to me and I'm kind of like thinking like well I'm over here and like my first thing to say is like I think we can all gather I'm not an RCCG pastor. (laughs) And everyone was just in bits, like, yeah, top knot, weird beard, funky outfit, Mm, not like anyone else there, bit weird. I'd already preached, so they knew I was a weirdo. And so they just cracked up. And then I said, I think it's important that we understand something, that RCCG is not the be-all and end-all. And my church, City Hill, is not the be-all and end-all. We have to see the beauty in one another. And we have to see the place that you have, the place that I have, and how we are this kind of this tapestry of what God is doing. And how through all of us, he's working. And you know what? If you move to another church, it's not the end of the world. Because we're one big family anyway. But if you can stay there and bring about a transformation, or if you can stay there and you can be happy there and thrive there, fantastic. But we have to see the beauty in one another. And so when we look at this and we hear of this sewing together that Paul's doing with his teaching, we can look at it and go like, oh my gosh, they're so backwards, they're so weird. But actually, if I'm to look at the UK and the churches, if I'm to look at the Pentecostal church, if I'm to look at the charismatic church, if I'm to look at um, the Church of England, the Methodists, if I'm to look at the reformed, oh my gosh, Uh, if I'm to look at all the different types, if I'm to look at us and how we're all so very different, yet we all have valuable parts to play. And what I always see people doing Is looking at another church, laughing at it, taking the mick out of it. And there are things to laugh about together, and it's funny. Um, Processes. You will submit to your elders. We can all laugh about these kind of things. But people will also laugh at some of the stuff that I do. Some of them won't. Some of them will just call me the Antichrist, and I'm okay with that. But we have to start to see the beauty in one another. We have to see the place that you have, the place that I have, and no longer see one another as wrong but see one another as different and to celebrate that difference because the church is such a big blanket and also least we find ourselves being like the Hebrews trying to enslave free Gentiles under obligations that were never theirs to have and so often we can find in church tradition that happening to us that has happened to me in church traditions where leaders have try to push and and shove things on me that I need to be this way, I need to be that way, I need to be this person. I am not that person, I am not that way, and I am not doing that, and I'm not interested. But in view of God's mercy, I lay my life down. Not just to fall in some lane that some dude tells me about, but in what I see in Jesus and who he is. And it goes on from there saying, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern What is the will of God? What is good, acceptable and perfect? For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy is in proportion to our faith, if, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness let love be genuine abhor what is evil hold fast to what is good love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in honor do not be slothful in zeal be fervent in spirit serve the Lord rejoice in hope be patient in tribulation be constant in prayer contribute to the needs of the saints and seek seek to show hospitality blessed bless those who persecute you bless those do not curse them rejoice with those who rejoice weep with those who weep live in harmony with one another do not be haughty but associate with the lowly never be conceited repay no one evil for evil but give thought to what is honorable in sight of all if possible so far as it depends on you live peaceably with all beloved Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. But do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So Paul has written 11 chapters to bring them to the same page to, in chapter 12, give them something of real beauty and worth. May we, this week, find that beauty in our own lives. May we see that opportunity clearly. Because when the opportunity is presented to us to live how that chapter is just spoken, it's normally a situation you don't see as a holy moment. You see it as a moment to deck someone you see it as a moment to take this guy out. Let me tell them about themselves. He's hungry, good. He deserves it. He's a jerk. He's this, he's that. The moments that present themselves to live out this, I've been in so many church meetings and we read through that kind of stuff and we're all like, oh. And it's just so lovely to read and we're like, oh, that's my Jesus. Yeah, Jesus saying, that's my church, please. Let's do this, let's live this, let's pursue it. This week when you're tested, If you need to grab a corner in a closet somewhere at work and read that part of Romans 12 and then go out and not be a douche, do it. If you can have the strength to do it straight away, praise God. He's working in you more mightily than me. I normally need a second just to, (laughs) and then love them. Uh, It's it's a challenge. I'm going to pray for us and that's it for today. Lord Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you, just like Paul did in that letter, he worked so hard to get them both on the same page that he can then deliver such a message of beauty and power, a message that can change the world, a message that can change community. Father, would you grab a hold of us? May we hear what you said to Jacob, that we would be cleansed from our sins and our wrongdoing, but that we we are saved by grace for good works. Would you work through us this week? Would you bring about transformation to those we want to bulldoze? May you use us to love those that we just want to slap in the face. Use us in these times, God, because it's in these moments that your glory can shine through. In Jesus' name, amen.